five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miglosh for the WDMA. We're going to be talking about what to do when you have no budget. And I'm really excited to present this material from John Evans, uh, who I greatly admire. And also, we're going to present some of my own work on my next edition of my book. So I think you'll find m more case studies <laughs> than in all the articles I've reviewed in the last month, at least, because <laughs> no one ever does give you the real story. So here we go. We're going to give it a try. Let's play the let's play the video and off we go I speeded it up a little bit so you could see here's the juice bottle and after you download the app you can see it in 3d you can see the fruit exploding I hope you can see it on there they're showing the bottle behind a phone and then they're also showing the making of video and then they're showing the game I sped it up a little bit and if you line up the fruit then you get and look at how this is in virtual or augmented reality you can move the bottle around and if you line up the fruit you get a free case of juice blast and there you go oh, play it again okay and then they they have a link that you can go to for more information they got 5,000 spins a day at its peak and the app was downloaded I think some 300,000 times so it was a really big smash but let's get to the article now and see what John did and how this all came about uh, what do you what to do when you have no budget achieving big things on a small budget is possible and here are four things to consider okay this is awesome this is one of my favorite articles I've ever run across thank you for this John uh, we're living in a golden age of evidence-based marketing he says mentions Mark Ritson who I consider a friend even though he doesn't write me back much what what do you do when you have little or no budget he says he hears that at a lot of web a lot of webinars and events that's the one question that he gets always start with the problem you're trying to solve that's from business 101 so he was managing Lipton iced tea in the UK and you know he didn't need a lot of research to say the British like their tea hot not cold right and um, this was this was uh, working at Britvic when he was working there and uh, so he he had was in charge of the marketing and uh, and uh, so he met with the agency that they were firing and uh, he said they they showed him a brilliant poster he thought it was clearly genius uh, which was had the title don't knock it till you try it with black and white images of things people thought would never catch on like g-strings or scratching records but has since become very popular um, it was clearly genius but I asked the rather obvious question how much sampling did you do in other words letting people try the drink I thought maybe sampling was like like testing like we talk about in direct marketing but uh, I think it was literally just out there on the street letting people try it and the agency said the money had been spent on what marketers are they, they said that they said this was an awareness campaign 
and we didn't have any money left for sampling. So the money had been spent on what the marketers wanted to do and not what, addressed, what would address the problem. The problem was nobody in, in the UK drank iced tea, so they didn't know what it was even like, right? Uh, it's like, you know, when you're, you're, you're brought up up north and you finally taste sweet tea down in the south. It's really good <laughs> on a hot day. Okay, so sometimes you have to sacrifice to achieve the goal. And um, by the time we got our hands on the brand, this is something that I've been told almost every assignment. You know, we hired XYZ Consulting Firm, and they told us to cut circulation. And now uh, we're on the verge of bankruptcy. What can you do to help us? That's how the that's how the initial conversations usually go, and <laughs> we'll get into that in a little while. But John says something magical happens when you have significant constraints. You know, there was a post last week that I commented on, and they said that creative people need time to think and sit and contemplate the the sunset, and I said creative people need significant constraints. <laughs> And I didn't get too many likes on that comment, but the tr but the truth is that constraints force you to be creative. Necessity is the mother of invention, and so uh, we couldn't really attempt to act like a smaller version of a larger brand, right? Well, so what we did was focus on what was really mattered. In our case, it was proving that contrary to perception, iced tea tastes great. Our first year consisted of highly concentrated sampling program to see if we could convert people. The data was emphatic. Uh, the second year, we tried to cover as much of London as we could, and by the third year, we'd gone national. Three years In three years, we doubled the size of the brand, and, uh, but, our, but our people kept asking, when are we going to do some proper marketing? To which I always replied, when everyone in the country has tried it. Okay, brilliant. This is brilliant. Right. So uh, if you thought that was challenging, his next project had no media budget at all. Uh, they they were part of a management buyout of a small unknown juice brand um, that largely had been marketed through food service. And the private equity company gave me 12 weeks to launch the brand in retail. Uh, the brand was called Juice Burst, which we just showed on there. And we, they, there's a making of, and I had talked about this back in January, I think, um, and uh, fun, a whole string of fun videos. And, uh, you know, what they realized was, the packs were blipped 300,000 times. What they realized was that their packaging was a medium in itself, right? And uh, I'll get to a, a brand where I did that same thing, same idea. Um, that made them a fortune. <laughs> you know, you often have untapped resources that you haven't considered. So put all your eggs in one basket and focus more on ac uh, on execution. When we were sampling iced tea or exploding fruit on the pack, we didn't have to worry about anything else. Okay. And uh, when you work on much larger bu budgets, the job becomes managing multiple product launches and campaigns and agencies and timelines. The job becomes one of conductor. So you have little, little time to focus on what's really working, which is another issue. 
okay so now I'd like to take you over to an update of my book my upcoming third edition of my book spinning straw into gold and what we'd like to talk about is zero budget marketing zero budget marketing because I started thinking John super inspired me and I thought you know I have never had a budget like he describes I've never had you know where okay here's 10 million dollars go talk to an agency and spend it however you like whatever they say you know don't have to worry until you get to the end of it never had that never had a, a stated amount of money you know yes sure as a VP of marketing we had target circulation numbers but they were adjustable you know if things were going down the drain we would stop things and we would start other things and try stuff so uh, but what if your company could double what if you could double the size of your company in a year or 10 times in three years or even 10 times in 10 years right something your kids could work into something that was saleable that's been my experience but here's the problem marketing always equals a known cost versus an unknown return whether it's hiring a consultant or a or a or a fractional CMO or it's spending your money on pay-per-click or whatever you're gonna do we're gonna talk about that tomorrow um, so so a friend came to me and he was considering shutting down his business for the fall and winter he had a home inspection business okay and so he came to me and he said you know I can't I can't go with you to that conference and what would but I said well what if we could generate money from your regular business and he said well it's winter there's no business in winter all my competitors go to Florida for the winter I said okay well let's think about this so he said all my competitors go south for the winter because the housing markets are bad so I said let's let's just say this represents your market okay and let's say this is your you in the market let's say you're one percent he said that would be charitable I said what does the housing market do in the winter he said it goes down about 30% I said okay so let's lop off about 30% of the market okay and we'll lop off 30% of your market okay now the question is what are the chances that while your competition is asleep <laughs> and in Florida what are the chances that you couldn't go and I drew arrows into make the up the difference of that 30 percent of the market that was left out here when no one's looking around his and I said not only is it easier I said a 30 percent decline is like the Great Depression that that was about what it was a recession is 10 percent or 5 percent or not really a whole heck of a lot it's just that people are scared and so they pull in their horns I said probably the greatest secret to growth is in going after it when the competition's pulling back so a downturn is the key time to expand your business Bob Dorney talks so that. I called him about eight weeks later and I time. said well how did it go he said well you know it was about mid-December when we did this everybody's supposedly off for the holidays but I went around with boxes of donuts to the realtors and to the lawyers and to the bankers that I worked with and I actually went to a few more than I'd done before 
and he said, not only was it the best January I ever had, but it was actually the best month I ever had. Which illustrates a huge part of the point of this. So, that was a one-person company, right? Which we effectively doubled in one month. With no real media spending at all. Just boxes of donuts and walking around to people he'd already done business with, right? And I've done that with other companies, and maybe we'll mention them. But when you look at it with a new set of eyes, which has been my track record through my career, magic can happen. Spinning gold takes magic, and winner, wizards can spot the unknown resources that you have around you. And magic makes you money. And my book, of course, talks about Rumpelstiltskin. We'll skip that for now. But, um, you know, there's big lies in the marketing industry. One is we know who you are and what you'll buy, what, who your customers are. Uh, and you can't grow both gold and customers. You can't both grow your company and profits. And both of those are false. You don't know what I'm going to buy next because I don't know what I'm going to buy next. I literally don't know. So... You know, I wanted to just share with you a little bit that, that a big part, the pinnacle of this, is someone who can walk around and spot things, okay? Now, you couple that with taking action with scientifically based experimental design. You figure out offers that can be tested because the offers are where the money is. It's always about matching the offer to the audience and often... It's not the offer that you think which will resonate with the, with the greatest number and make the most money. And then you take that, and sometimes we find brand new markets. You know, there it can be analytical and data involved, but a lot of it is in these first three steps way before you get to the data. So the gold is in the offer, and the process never stops. <clears throat> Observation, hypothesis testing, evaluation, and around you go again. There it goes. Okay, this was a case study that I've mentioned before. We put fancy big company logos who are of our, of our clients on the covers and on the items throughout the catalog because no other company in America had both a catalog that an average small business could could buy from and also did the the branding for major corporations so we thought it elevated the category but as I handed it out to people I they would say well why would I want to buy a Pontiac hat and so I thought of a test this is essentially changing the offer changing the creative and I said to the design team let's put your imprint here on this one, custom embroidery, your logo, right? Or whatever these say. You can see that these covers are almost identical. We did a 500,000 or 600,000 piece test, 300,000 of each. And this cover did 40% better. It was a statistical home run certainty that we should have been doing this. Not a word of copy changed. Not a word of copy inside the catalog. Just this one picture generated a 40% lift, okay? 
PetEdge was a company that had been uh, <laughs> it had been slowly shrinking for decades. Okay, uh, and we did a model that re reinforced their perceptions that it was high end neighborhoods that had dog groomers that would charge up to $100 per haircut for a dog. But we noticed something when we did the next season that they had an equal business, but it was all coming from rural areas. I thought our computers were broken. I called my friend Johnny out in the country and I knew he had dogs. I said, Johnny, do you ever get your dogs groomed? And he said, no. <laughs> What do you mean groomed? I said, you know, a haircut for the dog. Oh, yeah, sure. So right away, I knew there was a disconnect in the language. I said, well, why do you do it? Well, spring's coming. The dog's full of burrs. I said, where do you have it done? He said, oh, you know, the, the pet store or the vet might have a special for a couple of weeks. I said, do you care how the dog looks? He said, no. But the dog seems to like it. And so we found an entirely new market. We found an entirely new business model. And they grew 20% in the first year, 20% the next year, and 20% the third year. Baseball Express, they were only $5 million in sales. I thought they were too small to model, but I was looking through their catalog one day, and I saw these $5,000 pitching machines. And I said, hey, I called them up. I said, hey, who buys these $5,000 pitching machines? No, first I said, you're strictly consumer, right? You don't sell to businesses, right? He said, strictly consumer. I said, who buys these pitching machines? And he said, well, leagues and colleges and even major league teams. I said, but you're strictly consumer, right? Yep. <laughs> well, eventually I did a little bit of a study and found out that not only did people buy pitching machines, but the people who bought those also bought line chalk and rosin bags, very inexpensive items. Looked like consumers were buying, you know, might be a, if that's all they bought, it looked like they were placing a, you know, a $50 order. And so we set up a team to start calling those people who had bought the rosin bags. Because if you buy rosin bags or line chalk, you know, you have a serious baseball diamond. Okay. And then we built variables. We, we plotted baseball players, hardball and softball per capita. And we grew them to 50 million in 10 years. Okay, Adobe, I'll probably finish with this one. Adobe was called Image Club Graphics. And, uh, and this one we were doing as a, a database project, but they were, they were accidentally bought by Adobe, sort of as a package that <laughs> Adobe bought a company who had just bought them like a week before. And they didn't even know Adobe was talking to the other guys who just bought them. And so all of a sudden they were an Adobe company. So they went from... I think I have, let me see, if, yeah, here. So this was their catalog when we first met, and then they started putting a little logo on them, and then this one, and then they went to Adobe Magazine, and then they went to Adobe Studios, okay? And uh, they were the closest thing we ever had to a budget. They paid us something like 90000 a month. And uh, Brock Mahonis, um, who I will always, I will always appreciate for believing in us, at the time said, well, you know, that's just like, that's like 10% of our budget. But if we just, you know, cut out one mailing, if you can really do what you say, um, you know, we should get a great return. And uh, what happened was we found an untapped resource. We found a lot of things, but one of the things we found 
I mean, almost immediately we saved him 40000 a month, uh, but that's another story. And we also found a resource of names through Adobe that they were not mailing. And so we changed entirely the way they mailed. We changed the variables we used. Uh, we started actually using geodemographic modeling. And we went from mailing half a million a month to mailing a million a month. Not only didn't we have to forego that budget, but in that, usually when you gain circulation, you know, when you increase your circulation, usually you're mailing to worse and worse names. But the profit per piece went up 74%. So not only did we not only did we double the circulation, but we almost uh, we almost doubled the profit per piece. So that's almost like a fourfold increase just like that. It was within the first three months or four months that we started doing this, going from an annualized income of about 25 million to an annual annualized of about 50 million. And Patrick and and uh, and Brock. <laughs> bought themselves out of Adobe, sold themselves to Getty, and and Patrick started a charitable foundation because <laughs> they made a lot of money. And that's what can happen. That's what can happen. It's always a battle for budget because marketing is always unknown benefits versus known expenses. But the way you solve that is you execute you test and you roll out you test at a small level you find out what's really working and once you find something that's really working if you do it well it will extrapolate and your CFO and your CEO will be delighted to double or quadruple your marketing budget and that's how it works have a great day share this one share it with your CFO I'd love to see what they thought about it I'm John Miglosh. Bye-bye.